welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Corey Geary with us here again this week. Uh, follow along with what he does and what his team does. Head over to NovationNation.com where he trains on how to do wholesaling and novation. Um, and we're going to probably focus mostly on the wholesale piece of it here today. But um, head over to REIMastermind.net and check out the past episode because we cover quite a bit uh on that episode it's episode number 289 and uh but really appreciate you coming back Corey. yeah thank you jack i appreciate you having me back it's an honor so i think a lot of our listeners they already know what wholesaling is and we're going to kind of dive a little deeper onto that and hopefully give them kind of a wholesaling 101 but before we do though i kind of want novation is probably a new word to a lot of people's ears so uh could you kind of break that down first Absolutely. So, uh, you know, with wholesaling, you're assigning the contract to the uh, investor buyer via an assignment. With novations, uh, the legal terminology means replacement agreement. So you're replacing the AB contract where you have with the seller with the new BC contract you have with the end buyer. And this gives you the capability of selling these properties on the MLS to conventional finance buyers, conventional financing, FHA and VA alike. And so that's why you're able to capture such a bigger spread on novation deals versus wholesale because you're selling to a retail buyer versus an investor. And so it's a great strategy when uh, you're in more rural type markets, you don't have a lot of investor activity and, uh, and, and you have houses that are livable. And so now these days, about eight out of every 10 contracts are novations for us because we try to novate every deal. We only do wholesaling if the house needs like, you know, 100 grand worth of work, you know, the kitchen's burned down or something, or the seller's in a real time crunch because with novations, you do need a little additional time because you're going to be selling on the MLS. Where in wholesaling, you know, you can get that deal done fairly quick because you have a cash buyer on the other end. So as long as we have a time, uh, the house is in livable condition, and the seller allows access, we're going to novate that deal, if that makes sense. Sure. So let's let's start at the beginning here. Then we're, we said we're going to probably talk a little bit more about the wholesaling aspect of it. Let's where where do we begin? I, I know a lot of people kind of get into wholesaling and real estate investing because, uh, frankly, let's be honest, a, a lot of people it's been painted as a get rich quick solution. And I see you're laughing. I laugh at that too, but I mean, that's, that's the honest, like how to get into real estate with no money down. Uh, wholesaling is the answer typically. Yeah. Tell us I, the I, truth there. What bust a few myths. So I can kind of agree to that comment. I mean, uh, I got into wholesaling because I got burned pretty bad early in my journey. I started as a fix and flipper. Um, you know, I had a night job where I was working the casino. Uh, I, I was watching that show flip or flop. And my girlfriend at the time, she's like, why don't you flip a house so I can list it? You know, she was a part-time realtor. And I was like, she knew I had some money saved. I was like, I don't know. Why don't I flip a house? It seems easy enough. Take, you know, 20 minutes. They make $80,000. Let's try this. Right. And so I flipped my first house and make eight grand, took six months. 
On my third deal, though, I got burned pretty bad. I uh, bought four houses all at once, and a contractor really burned us. And I had to basically re-wholesale these houses back to the wholesaler to sell them to me. And we lost about a quarter million dollars on those deals. So, I mean, it was horrible. It reset me back to zero. And so I, I, I was kind of in that spot where I had no money. I didn't want to give up real estate. And then, you know, you hear that, that exact thing you said about wholesaling you know, getting the real estate with no money. And so I was like, man, well, how do these wholesalers get deals? And I did a Google search and I found Sean Terry and I went down that rabbit hole. And uh, I would say it's not a get rich quick by any stretch of the measure. It takes a lot of blood, sweat and tears to get the business going, to make it happen. It took me 10 months to get my first wholesale deal you know, after I got the first deal, obviously it was like uh, proof of concept. So I was able to, okay, I can go out and rinse and repeat what I did and hopefully, you know, make some money doing so. So it, it takes a lot of work, a lot of grit. And I mean, and if you really want to scale the business, you do need money. Now, ideally the money you're making for, uh, off a couple contracts here and there, you want to reinvest it in the business. But it, it, it takes a lot of time, effort, and it's going to take some money, and you're going to have a lot of struggles along the way. It's not an easy path by any stretch of measure. It's not how the gurus make it sound. Bar none, I've had a lot of lumps along in my journey, you know, a lot of setbacks. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. So you you mentioned you lost a, a quarter million on the first it was it the first deal first the third deal deals? into my fix and flip journey yeah it, it, it yeah. set me back to zero well let's let's be honest though i mean i know it's an ex- it was an expensive lesson but what did you learn from that experience well a couple things that's a great question one make sure you vet out your contractors make sure you're checking the roc the register of contractors make sure he's licensed Talk some talk to some of his previous clients. You know, I didn't do any of that. He was a referral over to me, and uh, I didn't do any vetting. I was still working my casino job, and uh, basically trusted him right out of the gate. I started sending him money, and he was sending me pictures of the property being uh, um, updated. Which he was it wasn't our property; it was another property. And he kind of took us down a rabbit hole for a couple months without me doing any serious follow up with them because I just trusted him, and it it. It was completely, you know, he saw a mark on our head and we were newbies and it was dumb on my end. Um, And now if I had a mentor in place, you know, that probably wouldn't have happened. So I wish I had kind of seeked out the path of getting a mentor in place in the very beginning of my journey. I didn't. It took me me getting, you know, burned before I got a mentor in place and me doing some really good due diligence on some, you know, on the people I was trusting. And I, I I didn't do that. Right. I thought it was like, okay, just give this guy money and he's going to go and do my properties and it, it will be all, all good in the end of the day. And, and I, it was just a completely idiotic uh, mistake on my part. I mean, <laughs> why would you trust anybody with that much money without doing your due diligence on them, following up with them, holding them accountable. And I didn't do that. So it was, uh, it was a horrible mistake I made very early on my journey. Sure. And then you mentioned that that first deal, it took you 10 months to, to find that first deal. First wholesale deal. Yeah. So how, what, what lessons did you learn there? And, and, and I, I really needed, I want to spend some time on this because I really need to emphasize so that the, it seems like that first deal is always the hardest. 
It is, man. And it's because you just don't know what you don't know. And the biggest thing I think is I was trying to learn how to talk to these sellers, how the sales process works, how to get uh, good follow-up in my system. You know, when you first start out, you don't really have your systems and processes in place. You don't have the sales skills that you need to talk to these sellers to lock the deals up. You don't, you know, you probably don't have a buyer's list. And and so like getting into it, it's very difficult. You know, your marketing, how do you structure your marketing? Are you consistent with your marketing? And all these things I didn't know how much about, you know, obviously I bought a course now from Sean Terry. I went down that rabbit hole. I was trying to implement his course. But, you know, I didn't have a lot of consistency with the marketing. I didn't have good sales skills. And that was the reason why it took so long to lock my first deal up. It, you know, it was a combination of all those things. But once I got that first deal, it took me 10 months. I think I came off a direct mail piece we we're doing. We were doing a combination of direct mail and bandit signs. And, uh, it, you know, once but it wasn't consistent, direct mail would send out a batch here would wait for phone calls to come in, maybe a month later, you know, okay, phone call stopped, maybe a month and a half. Let's send out another batch. Let's see if we get in. It was very, it was like, uh, it was haphazardly the marketing we were doing, nothing consistent by any stretch of the measure. And so by the time, you know, we locked our first deal up, the good thing is that we were able to get some money into the, the business, my bit, my small little business that I had to, to reinvest back into marketing and trying to get a more consistent lead flow. You know, cause at the time I was just using the, the money I was making from the casino job to put into marketing. So at the very least I had that, you know, I got burned for that money, which was my life savings, my, my 401k loan that I took out and my previous flip money that I had made. Um, but I still had my job and that was able to, and I, it was a good job that that casino job was, you know, it was a six figure year job. So I was able to take that money in that I was making and try to um, pay for marketing, pay for some systems. And so it was a slow burn getting started. And uh, obviously consistency is key and uh, learning some good sales skills uh, in the beginning uh, would have been better, but we got there, you know, and after 10 months, and I, th I think my second deal, I think it came like a month later. It was like, once you kind of crack that barrier, I don't know what it is. It, mm -hmm. it, it, it's like the proof of concept is there. It's like, oh, this works. Okay, let's rinse and repeat what we, what made what worked. How did we get this deal? Okay, let's rinse and repeat that. How how did the conversation flow? You know, and it, it just kind of that mental barrier you have to break through. I think for a lot of people. Oh, I I definitely think you're on to something there. I, there's there's a mindset shift that happens where you almost need to convince yourself that it's possible. You know, yes. it's, and it, once you get that first one, you realize that, Hey, this actually works or this actually is possible. The the next ones seem to come at a, at a, at a better clip. It, it's so true, man. You have to convince yourself that you can do it. You know, you, you know, it kind of works because you see other people doing it, but you're just not confident in yourself. Right. That's like the biggest thing. And it's like, you know, once you get that first deal, now you have confidence. Oh, wow. This, this does work. Okay. And you know, we wholesale that deal to the wholesaler that I was buying my fix and flips from before, which is great. And we wholesaled it to him. We made 10 grand and I was like, Oh, you know, a little bit of ROI that came back into the business. And it was, it was nice. And it was kind of like where that was the real foundation when we got started with wholesaling. So one of the things that I think I, I, I want to take a second on too to sidestep for a second is 
the concept that, you, you know, you talked about building your buyer's list. I hear time and time again, the concept of find, find the, the deal and the money will follow. What do you, what do you think of that concept or if should you, you spend? Don't know how to source the buyer. Then that, that concept is not true. So like, just because you find a deal doesn't mean that the buyer is going to call your phone and say, Hey, I want the deal. You have to know, be, you know, how to be, you have to know how to get that deal in front of the right buyers. You got to know the marketing aspect on the dispo end of the deal. If you don't know the marketing aspect piece of the dispositions in the business, you're just because you have a good deal. All that's going to do is sit there on your desk. Just because you have a deal on your desk doesn't mean that your phone's going to ring. So you have to get it in front of people. You have to know how to market it to people. Uh, you got to know where to find those people. Back then, uh, my my method was I would go and then scrape the the local MLS here for all the cash buyers who did deals in that local area. So I know there's investors buying properties in that area, close them cash, and I was scraping the MLS and then skip tracing them or calling those realtors and then pitching the deal to those guys. So I knew, know those guys would be interested in the deal that I just locked up in that area. That's where they play at. Um, so that concept is has some truth in it, but it's not. It's just a piece of the puzzle, right? Right. Yeah, I, I've I've been pushing the concept that you should probably be putting as much time and effort into developing your buyers list, getting out there and networking, joining your local RIA, doing all of these different things. In addition to the the standard marketing, because like you said, if you don't have a an exit or a way to do the take care of the disposition, I mean, you could then then what? Then what? And hundred percent in the beginning of your journey, I think that's imperative that what you just said. You want to be out there networking with people, going to local RIAs, you know, talking to investors alike, talking talking to other wholesalers. Like I said, that first deal, I ended up wholesaling that to the wholesaler who I was buying deals from. So like I had that relationship. So I was able to call him and say, Hey, Chris, his name was Chris. I was like, I got this deal uh, at this X number. What do you think? And he looked at it and he goes like, yeah, man, I'll give you 10 grand for it. So I had that relationship already with him. So in the beginning to really kind of fast track your success, you know, getting out there and networking is critical, critical. Yeah. You, you also mentioned the importance of mentorship. What have you ever sat down and wondered like, if you would have had the proper mentorship or what you know now back then, like how different would have been that first deal? Absolutely. Because it would have fast tracked me that first probably 10 months. And then also obviously not getting burned in the beginning of my journey. It took me getting a couple of lumps on my head before I was like, all right, maybe I first should pay for mentorship. And I, I, I attribute my success now completely to mentorships and masterminds. A hundred percent because my superpower now is copy and paste. I don't try to reinvent the wheel. If somebody's already done it and they're successful at that particular uh, strategy, I learn it from them. I come home and I copy and paste it. And it's just, it's so much easier trying to just figure it out on your own. If you're out there just figuring it out on your own, yeah, you might get to where you want to go, but it's going to take you a lot longer to get there and you're going to make a lot more mistakes. You're going to lose a lot more money. So what is a better, what's better? You making all those mistakes and losing money and taking more time. Time is money too, or just paying somebody or paying to be a part of a group to help fast track you to where you need to go. And so my whole business is 
my success is strictly because of masterminds and mentorship. I mean, down to my novation strategy that I, I, I teach now. When I first learned about that strategy, it was a mastermind I was out in Florida at. You know, and it was a wholesaler mastermind and we're out there and people are talking about their businesses. And one guy had just talked about novations and he was half his business model was built off of it. And I'm like, huh, what is that? You know, and I inquired deeper about it. And then I went out there and paid people who were doing it to teach me what they were doing. And I had talked to like four or five different people, figured out what they're doing, compilated my own style because I wanted to do it nationwide. And and then we did it and then learned a lot of other, le- of course, you can still learn lessons by doing the process. Uh, you're going to learn your own lessons. But I mean, mentorship is imperative, man. I mean, I have probably spent somewhere in the realms of a quarter million dollars on mentorship and masterminds in my real estate journey so far. And I'm always looking uh, to for new groups to join and ways to grow. And I mean, it, it, it's, it's the, absolutely the reason why I'm at where I'm at now. Well, you know, and I, I need to point out the fact that I, I'm, and I've mentioned it before. For some reason, we have a hard time as a society seeing mentorship and masterminds and getting some assistance. It, it's as a better investment, and I'm going to keep calling it an investment because that's what it actually is. It's something that is going to uh, pay pay a greater ROI than any other property we probably can invest in. Mm-hmm. So you you mentioned a mastermind. You have one yourself, newagewholesaling.com for your mastermind. Can you talk a little bit about like, for those who haven't participated in a mastermind, what would they expect? What should they expect when they join something like this? So you, you have different types of masterminds, different levels of masterminds. You got the in-person mastermind where you go once a quarter to meet up at some exotic location. Those masterminds tend to be a little bit more expensive. I um, mean, anywhere from, you know, it could be anywhere from twenty to $50,000 a year for those type of masterminds. And then with a mastermind I run is a virtual mastermind. So obviously the cost is not 50 grand a year for my mastermind because it's a virtual mastermind. And what we have 35 members in the group now, we get on weekly Zoom calls. We strategize about one topic in the business that we are doing. So we teach in our mastermind, you know, how to do nationwide wholesaling and innovation deals, innovation deal making with PPC as your main marketing strategy. So it was built on what made my business successful and what I'm doing to get, you know, great money now. And, and we have a lot of killers in the group and it's, it's great because some of these guys, you know, they, they teach me stuff, you know, and it's awesome. And, but the, 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 the foundation is uh, the seven figure, virtual nationwide wholesaling innovation deal deal making with PPC's your main marketing strategy. And uh, you get, you know, obviously we get direct access to me and my team. We JV deals with you. Um, you get part of a Facebook group and we're meeting every single week. So it's a great little group that we got going on. And uh, I, I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. And, and for those who might balk at, at kind of paying for something like this, you definitely get what you pay for when it comes to kind of a mastermind. There's like, there's something about that skin in the game that brings everybody's a game when they come to this, everybody is looking to for that ROI at that point, you just get far better participation than, than 
some masterminds that I've been a part of that frankly were free, you know, because now you're yeah. just getting everybody and anyone there's, there's no level of, of commitment. It's hundred percent, percent correct. You, you give value to something you're paying for and that's everything in life. You know, if you're paying for what you're getting, then you're going to, you're going to treat it with value or if you just receive it for free, most people, when they receive information for free, they don't implement that is the, the biggest issue. So, right. Yeah. So, um, when you did your first wholesaling de- deal, you talked about, uh, postcards, yellow letters and, and, uh, banded signs. Banded signs. Yeah. And now, and now you're talking about PPC is PPC your preferred method now, or do you it's still do some of the other? Now, uh, well, we do a little bit of cold calling, um, and then it's probably like 80, 20, 20% cold calling, 80% PPC, but that is our main form of marketing. Um, the main reason why is because PPC is infinitely scalable. And that's what I love about it. And you can turn it on and off in any market you want. You know, we'll give an example with like cold calling or even direct mail. You got to pull new data. You get to skip trace that data. You got to you got to re hammer that data with new marketing pieces on a consistent monthly basis or biweekly or whatever you got your your calendar on. And then. You know, if you're like, if you're doing cold calling, you get out and you go to a new market, you got to put new, got to hire new cold callers, put them on there, you know, expand uh, your dialer or whatever it may be. And there's it, it, scaling that model is difficult. Is it possible? Yes, of course. And there's a lot of people who do it. But with PPC, I just go on there and a few clicks of a button, maybe adjusting my budget and I'm literally done. And it's it, it automatically starts targeting that area. And I'm able to drive leads in from that area. And I can increase the lead flow just by increasing my budget. So it's at the push of a button. So and that's what I love about PPC. It's just a, it's infinitely scalable. If I don't want marketing uh, for a certain period of time, if I want to like maybe scale it down, I just scale the budget down so I can tweak and adjust what I'm spending very easily and uh, digital marketing, it's the future. And I feel like that's the way our whole society is going. And so if you're not learning some form of digital marketing, uh, at some point, you're going to be left behind, in my opinion. So it, it's just a great way to drive leads. And let me touch on this. And when we were doing cold, when we do cold calling, I average about 70 leads per contract. On PPC, I average anywhere from 12 to 15 leads per contract because when we're cold calling, it's guerrilla marketing. You're reaching out to them. Hey, do you want to sell your house? You're reaching out to all these sellers. And most of them, you know, are like, yeah, just give me an offer. Or yeah, if you give me the right price, I might be interested in selling. So it's like mm-hmm. you're going through a lot more dirt to get your gold. Where in PPC, these people are reaching out to us. They raise their hand. They're they're looking, they're looking to find us. And so they enter their information to our web form, or maybe they're calling us. These sellers really genuinely want to sell and they usually have a lot more motivation than what you have with like telecommunication type marketing. So one of the things that I thought was interesting when we hit before we hit record is that you you manage your own PPC. I do. Pay-per-click. Don't run into a lot of, let's just be honest, a lot of realtors and real estate investors were a bit behind when it comes to technology. What made you decide to handle this piece of it yourself? That's a very good question because in the beginning when I tur- I I've decided that I wanted to do PPC, I outsourced it. And I went through different 
three different servicing agencies where it was costing me an arm and a leg because not only my cost per conversion was anywhere from three to $600 cost per lead, then you have to pay the, the marketing company to manage it. And so like, you know, I can remember one company specifically, it was costing me around 10 K every quarter for them to even touch my account. And then now when they're now, when they're touching my account, I'm getting leads at like $500 cost per lead. It was just bleeding me. We were get were we getting an ROI? Yeah, we were getting deals, but it was like, it was so expensive. I got to the point where I was so frustrated as I like, look, I need to learn how to fish myself. I need to learn how to do this if I really want to be successful at scaling this and keeping it consistent and having a great ROI out of it. So I just, I made the decision to bring it in-house. And I and it's not that difficult. I'm, I mean, I am not a techie guy by any stretch of the measure. And it, I think it's more of a mindset thing. People are afraid of it because it is tech. But it is not hard once you get your campaigns built out in there. It's a it's as simple as managing it weekly, where you go in there and look for some negative keywords to uh, to get out of there, you know, to to uh, exclude, and then you look at how your ad copy is doing, and maybe change an ad copy around for uh, kill the losing uh, ad copy because you're always split testing new ad copy, and it's maybe it takes me maybe thirty minutes to forty five minutes a week to manage it, and it, it is not difficult at all, and I I just basically. The way I teach it, people just go, I, I teach them what I'm doing on my account and they just copy and paste it. They copy and paste it. You don't have to be a techie guy. You just fill out somewhat similar ad copy, similar keywords, and then turn it on. And then we're going to manage it and see how it does and just figure out what we can tweak as we move along. You don't have to be a techie guy to do PPC. Just find somebody who's doing it and, and copy and paste what they're doing. It's, it's mm-hmm. almost as simple as that. And there's a few guys out there teaching uh, PPC at a good high level, you know, not just me, but it, it's, that would be my advice there, but you don't have to be a techie guide to run PPC. Yeah. So do you just do pay-per-click? And so we're talking about like search engines when we say pay-per-click, but are you doing any kind of ads with Facebook, Twitter, any of the social medias? I, I'm not. Uh, we've tried Facebook a few times. Uh, we had a little success with uh, Facebook, but I find that the lead quality is so much better on Google PPC versus Facebook. Facebook, you get leads, but it, the leads end up being about, uh, like, it's like cold calling. They end up being around 70 to 90 leads per contract because these people are not really reaching out to you. What are they doing? They're scrolling through their feed. And then they see your ad and they go, oh, let me click on that and see what that's about. And they might enter their information um, because maybe they are thinking about selling a property. But it's not the same quality as somebody coming out and searching for you. And that's what PPC really is. I mean, somebody went on Google and typed in, I want to sell my house now. And mm-hmm. so those guys are more motivated than someone who's just scrolling through a feed and going, oh, so you'll still get deals out of your Facebook advertising, but it's not the same quality. And so I decided we did Facebook for a while. I was getting uh, some ROI out of it, but I was like, you know what? My ROI is best or my money is best allocated towards PPC because I just get a better ROI out of it. Sure. Yeah. I've been, I've been toying, toying with the, the, the concept myself lately regarding how to handle this. And, and I keep coming back to the concept that, that um, 
pretty much exactly what you're saying is regarding pay-per-click on the front end, drive traffic to a site where it could maybe trigger a Facebook pixel for follow-up. That's the perfect way to do it, right? Retargeting is how you use Facebook. And we have a retargeting pixel on ours. And uh, that way, because because they came to you, they're, they're a potential lead. They might've backed out because I don't know what they, maybe they're busy that day. Right. Maybe their kids came up to them and pulled them away from the computer, but then now they're going to go back and they're going to go on Facebook. And then, then you're retargeting them. Those are the ones that you want to capture off Facebook. hundred percent. Sure. So, you know, let's, let's say, let's say somebody wanted to uh, do pay-per-click and uh, that, that first term or two that they, what, could you give them a kind of like some action, something actionable, like what could they do to target like just a simple one phrase or two phrases that uh, to kind of, to experiment with, if you will. Absolutely. And the, what I did, a lot of what I did, it was obviously copy and paste, right? You can go on Google and type in, we buy houses and you can see what all your competitors ad copy looks like. You don't even have to click on their ad copy, right? And you don't have to cost them money, but you can see what they're putting in their ad copy. So you pick out a couple of terms. We buy houses, sell my house fast companies that buy houses. That's a great one. We're now using online house buyer. So these are a couple of keywords you could put in there. And then you're going to have to create out some ad copy to get ideas for the ad copy. Go Google it and then see what your competitors are doing. Oh, we buy houses fast. We close quick. No cash, you know, all cash, no fees, you know, just some basic ad copy there. And then that you attach that ad copy to the keyword. And that's basically it. And I have the best advice I could give is let Google do what Google's good at. And this is where most of the servicing, servicing agency companies do it wrong. They try to control the cost per click. Don't control the cost per click. Let Google do what they're good at and do what's called maximized conversions. This allows Google to basically control the cost per click for you based off trying to get you that conversion. And it also allows Google to show your ads to look alike audience. You're letting it work on your behalf. So anytime you restrict Google, the more your cost is going to be. And this is what these servicing agencies don't understand. So if you restrict it to the keyword, it's going to cost you more. If you restrict it on the uh, geographical location, it's going to cost you more. Um, so you just got to be careful, you know, on how much you restrict it. Let Google do what it's good at. And that, you know, if you're trying to control the cost per click, you got to go in there every single day, look at all the different keywords. That's another thing, uh, you know, having 500 keywords in there to manage because you're trying to control the cost per click on each one is brain damage. No, just have 10 keywords and do maximize conversions and let Google run with it. And then all you got to manage then is the negative keyword set. So basically you're telling Google on the back end who not to show your ad copy to. That's it. Mm -hmm. And then Google is going to run. And that's how you bring that cost down tremendously. Let Google do what it's good at. Don't restrict it. And so that was the number one thing I learned about Google. Yeah. And the, the harder you make it, the, the more your cost is going to be and the more work it's going to be for you. Um, we streamline the process very simply. I mean, I like the, the old saying, keep it simple, stupid, right? And that's what I do with Google. I keep it very simple. I let Google do what it's good at because Google has over 2000 data points in every single person in the United States. They're like big brother. They know when a homeowner is thinking about selling before they even know it just because of some of their search history. 
some of their, you know, their, their activity that they're doing. And so that's what we do, you know, uh, maximize conversions, uh, don't control the geographical location. Don't try to control the keywords too much and let Google do what it's good at. Let it learn. It will learn. And uh, especially if you have your pixel uh, connected to your website, what you want to do today where you're tracking your conversions, Google will learn what kind of behavior is going on with your conversions with these leads. And that's how it learns to know what your lookalike audience is going to be is through the conversion tracking. And, and that's one of the key things to say, make sure. And I don't even know how to set up a conversion tracking. I, I pay someone to do that part. You know, they go into the website and they, they put the little pixel in there. I'm sure it's probably fairly easy if you're, if you're very good at uh, uh, like WordPress and that's what kind of website you have. But uh, I pay a VA, you know, you know, 20 bucks. He'll go in there and set it up, make sure it's working right in my Google account. Okay, now our conversion tracking is working. Perfect. That's the most important piece. Now we can do maximized conversions for Google can learn what my lookalike audience is. Now we're going to only do uh, our keywords broad match. Don't restrict it with exact match or phrase match because now you're restricting Google. Do broad match. Let Google learn with broad match to who your lookalike audience is and control Google through the negative keywords to not to show your uh, ads to. And that just comes uh, through time. We all, uh, Obviously, I have a, a pretty robust negative, negative keyword list now. We, we give that to all our students, but you can build your own as you're moving along there. You know, obviously if you're targeting, we buy houses and someone types in, uh, we buy insulin strips or I want to sell my car. Well, make sure to go in there and negative out, negative out that term. And then Google will never show your ad copy again to that person who types in that search term. Well, you know, I, I, uh, would imagine this would be a way for us to, thread that needle too to kind of not have to compete price-wise because pay-per-click it's kind of an auction if you will when it, it comes is. to when it when it comes to this so we kind of want to thread that needle a little bit regarding so you're not competing against every realtor in your town too correct correct yeah and let google do what it's good at because your competition is trying to control google that's what I love. That's the way everyone teaches it. Hey, control your cost per click. Do exact match keywords. Uh, target your, your certain zip codes that you want to. Man, I'm telling you, your cost per conversion is going to be like five, $600. And it's because mm. it's an auction and the way Google's algorithm plays the auction game. And so, yeah. Right. So, you, you know, I, I can't agree with you more, especially regarding, like, you know, I used a, a service at one point too, trying to trying to get somebody to, to handle this pay-per-click for me. And, and it was, it was a learning experience as well, because first of all, uh, they never worked with a real, real estate investor before. So the only experience they had was real tours and, Man, it was that was just a disaster. It was really bad. <laughs> Usually, the stories I hear. Uh, let me touch on one more thing. Why I love Google too is that in Google, we don't target the stress. Right? It's basically everybody who wants to sell a house. So, and when you're doing cold calling or direct mail, you're pulling distress list. A lot of these houses are in pretty bad shape. Where in Google, we get everyone under the sun who wants to sell. And what we love about that is these good livable houses, they don't have to be updated, but they have to be you know livable. Those are perfect prospects for novations. So I'd say about 80% of my leads that come in through Google are good prospects for novations. And so it meshes well 
with the model that we do with innovations. And so that's why I also love Google is because it's just, it's every seller. It's everybody right. who's thinking about selling. And then it doesn't have to be a distressed seller. Somebody who's, you know, you know, behind in their taxes and the house needs a hundred thousand dollar remodel. And, you know, they're, they're in foreclosure and all these other distress points. And that's how you usually target your telecommunication marketing. And that's why you get so, so many bad houses with so many title problems too. When you target the stress, you're going to have a lot more title problems issues that you're going to have to fix on the back end. And when you're doing Google, it's not the same. Yeah. And we could spend a whole another half hour talking about your innovation process because absolutely that frankly is just fascinating how you fell into that, into that niche and how that all works. In fact, um, I'm going to point everybody back to that, that last episode that we did and that we kind of dived a little deeper on that piece of it, but I'm hoping that you'll come back and we can spend more time on novation again, because I I think it's a concept that I think a lot of people should really consider. And it's been uh, honestly a crack. I've not, I've been trying to crack for, for a while that, that, that concept um, because it's really appealing because I'm sure with, especially with the wholesaling, we talked about disposition before, but having additional avenues available to you like Novation is the more you have those arrows in your, in your uh, backpack, the better off you're going to be. hundred percent. Don't be a one trick pony. Learn multiple exit strategies. Obviously Novation is not the only one. You got sub two, seller financing, lease options. There's just so many ways to skin the cat in real estate, which is why I love real estate, right? Find your mm-hmm. niche, tackle it. And uh, don't be just one trick pony pitching cash all the time. Like, oh yeah, wholesale, wholesale, wholesale. No, there's other options, guys. There's other options. Well, Corey, before I let you go, I want to point everybody to NovationNation.com. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. So if you're in your podcasting app, Swipe right and check that out. There should be an easy, easy clickable link there for you. But uh, Corey, is there a question or concept you wish we would have covered here today? The only concepts I guess maybe is like uh, what is like one of the, uh, the the downfalls of doing novations, I guess. And I would say on the downfall for novations is the cash conversion cycle. So, and what I mean by that is when you're wholesaling, your cash conversion cycle can be pretty quick. It can be, you know, from two weeks to a month before you see money back in the business. If you're going to do novations, make sure you do have a little bit of money in the bank because your cash conversion cycle goes out a little bit longer because you're listing it on the MLS and it could take, you know, two to three months before that deal closes and comes back in the bank. So be very uh, you know, cognizant about that. If you're going to tackle innovations, uh, your cash conversion cycle gets extended out a little bit. Sure. No, well, I appreciate it, Corey. I hope you uh, we don't take uh, too much of a break like we did this last time. You're always Absolutely. welcome back. And uh, again, it's NovationNation.com. Really yep. appreciate your time, Corey. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jack. Appreciate it. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, if so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.